Okay, we're live. How you going? Good. Cool. So, I've got this idea for a podcast. Basically, I've gotten to work with a lot of really cool, really interesting people over the years. And you see the photos that I take, but you don't know anything about the people behind them. Um, and my theory is that everything is fake. Uh, so the photos that I take are obviously fake. And the people behind them are real, but through their social media or whatever, they still get to put this fake version of themselves out in the world. So one thing that I want you to know during this little chat, I don't need you to tell the truth. So you can lie whenever you like. Sweet. Now, if you do lie and I know the truth, I'm not going to point it out. So you can tell me literally anything and my job, if you do, is to go along with it. So, you can just tell the truth. We can just have a nice chat. And if you're really good at lying and really sneaky, maybe even I would never know. Anyway, so, uh, the first thing I want to do is ask you, uh, what the fuck are you wearing? I'm wearing a towel. Why are you wearing a towel? Oh no, I just like wearing towels. I just bought a new towel. It's, um, it was really expensive, but it's Sit around the house in a towel. Right. But why are you in a towel now? <laughs> um, because we get up to weird mischief and we just spent a couple of hours in the bath. Yeah, right. Like all wet. So, you know, thought I'd get back in my towel. Yeah, so obviously taking pictures in the bath. Yes. We're yeah, taking yeah, pictures, taking in, the pictures in the bath. We have proof. Of that. Of that we have proof. That's <laughs> definitely true. Uh, so what was, what was the, so we didn't have a concept. I was just like, Hey, I'm going to be doing a podcast soon and I want to be taking photos and then talking to the people and you put your hand up as you always do. <laughs> so there was no concept. So what, what was your idea? Well, I have been doing heaps of Shibari lately. I go to a Shibari chill out session every Tuesday with one of my friends and I was like, maybe we should just do some Shibari in the bath. Right, and for for the people who listen who have no idea what that is, what's your definition of shibari? It is rope bondage, but I mostly started getting into it because I thought it was pretty and I liked the whole art form instead of the whole, like, we're going to go, like... Aesthetic over control. Yeah. But then you find out that the aesthetics isn't the best part. Look at you not answering the question. It's all right. It's all right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hammer that one down. I'm not gonna chase that too much. But people realise that letting go is the really cool part about it. Yeah. It's um. I talk about it as say you're an artist and you draw, mm. or you play guitar. When you're creating, that's really close to being in a state of meditation. And shibari is the same. It's forced meditation. If you're being tired you have nothing to contribute. You do contribute, but what you're contributing is your presence and your stillness and your patience, which is meditation. And so that's something that a lot of people will get out of it, even if they've got no interest in any other area. This is a cool little thing. But yeah, so that, that letting go of control. So anyway, um, why in the bath? I, I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, cool, <laughs> cool, cool. No worries. Yeah, it was just a bit of fun. It was just something to do. Create something interesting mm. really fast. I spend a lot of time in the bath, so it's just 
let's just get in the bath. Comes naturally to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, with a lot of the people that I'm going to be talking to, uh, I'm asking them to tell me, to to remind me as well, uh, how did we meet? We met through a friend of Facebook. Yeah. This was forever ago. Years ago or something. It'd be almost that, 10 years. Um, and I came around to your house and you had a sheet set up in your garage and we threw paint around and I rolled around in it with my friend. What were you wearing? Nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was wearing paint. So as a bit of a descriptive of the garage, what do you remember it looking like? Yeah, because this is one of those things where you say garage and you make it sound really nice. <laughs> it it was a carport. It was it was like poles and a tin roof and some canvas duct taped to the walls, <laughs> so the neighbors couldn't see from their yeah. kitchen window. And yeah, it was like I think I like stapled together sheets at that point because I had I didn't even know. I didn't use eBay or anything like that. I didn't know about backdrops. So fun. we did a good job. Yeah, look, it was it was a lot of fun. There was there was paint, and that that's become a thing. Uh, yeah, it's definitely become we've, a thing. We've done a few of those, I think now. Um, kind of moved on from the paint to like glitter and lube. Yeah, glitter lube. <laughs> uh, comes up. <laughs> um, it's one of those like. Uh, interesting encounters when you're buying like five kilos of lube and somebody looks at you and is like, what's this for? And you're like, I'm just into some weird stuff. But it's not what you think. Um, it's a lot easier to wash off than paint. So, as someone who's not really a model, like you don't put yourself across as a model on social media or anything like that, you don't like have a separate Facebook page with a fake name or anything where you're like selling a personality. So when somebody is that, when they are selling something online, uh, they'll do photo shoots to create interest and they'll do the weird stuff to try and get more interest. Um, so to somebody who's not trying to sell that, what do you get out of it? It's just fun. And I'm weird. I'll just do weird things because I can <laughs> But what compels you, because it's not, photo shoots aren't like fast. They can take a couple of hours. They're pretty taxing physically, mentally. You have to get ready for a photo shoot like you're getting ready to go on a date. You know, so so what's the reward out of it? I don't know. You it's don't know? Fun. I just do, you, do it. So do you think about it later or anything? Like, does it come I'll back as a memory? look at them again later. I'll be like, mom, look at this weird shit that I've done this week. <laughs> Mum, look at this weird shit that I've done this week. Healthy relationship. That's good. That's good. And I know I really mean that, though. I love that you can talk about it. Um, because some people, you know, it's, there's different levels of, of, of weird. And then there's different levels of what people are willing to share that's weird. And that's one of the things that I love is that with social media, people can share this whole fake weird thing. And like, I'm this massive weirdo. And then they're not really, but they're putting it out there because they think it'll sell or whatever. Um, so what are some of the shoots we've done? We've done Glitter Lube, I think, twice. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we've done some lingerie ones. Oh yeah. Um, Who hasn't though? Yeah. For my thirtieth, we did a mash, like a little kid's cake. Because you're a giant child. Because I am a giant child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My birthday party was supposed to be a giant kid. So, um, time zone in op shop clothes. Because when I was little, I used to go to the op shop with my dad and buy big, giant, pink '80s ball gowns and run around the house and pretend I was a princess. You don't do that now. I still do that now. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. So that was the theme. Yep. And kids stuff. And we were supposed to play heaps of kids like games and stuff, but then it just ended up getting really weird and we didn't play kids games and everybody was tied up in Shibari and I was covered in cake. <laughs> There's balloons everywhere. It was awesome. It's one of those what I loved is um someone commented to me later that it was a really out there party. And for me it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> And it was out there, but it hadn't. It doesn't register on the scale of out there, uh, because I've I've had standard days at work that are really really out there, and I, I'm at work. It's it's literally like uh, any other job where I would go home and forget what my day was like and wouldn't think about it until I see the photos later and would be like, whoa, it got weird. Um. But yeah, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, but I think it was about seven or eight years ago. One time you've paid me. Oh, yeah. 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 Or my wedding photographer. I was your wedding photographer. Yes. I just, what I love is I think at that... Did I have a studio yet? No. Had I, had I established myself as a studio photographer with any kind of skill yet? I or was think so. Was I still the guy in the shed? You, you were still the guy in the shed. Well, I'm the guy in the shed now. That's yeah. back where I, I'm back in the shed. Yeah, I don't have a studio. Going back to the shed. Well, <laughs> what I love is I'm forced to be creative in that environment. What I found is the bigger the studio got, the more pressure I felt to produce that level of work. I needed to produce the best I could produce. And it forced me to produce way less. So I would do way more shoots. I averaged about 500 shoots a year. Oh, hey there. There is a very, very beautiful man entering the room. He's being very polite. Hey. With this fresh tattoo. Oh, yeah. Um, where was I? Yeah, so I had to produce, you know, quality... But I was working quantity. I was doing on average of like between 500 and 1,000 shoots a year. Hmm. Yeah. So, and once I was in the bigger studio, I was getting, like, it was work. You know, a lot of it wasn't for fun. We just had a light go down. Anyway. So, I was producing way more, but outputting way less. And I felt really boxed in. Um, so, that's why I love as much as I would love to still have the big studio, I love being in that little shed now. And one of the weird things that I find is so many people are so happy to come back. You know, like, you've seen the big studios. You knew that guy. And it's that thing where you feel like in life, like, I'm going to fail. You know, you know, I saw it. I saw my failure coming. You know, some people don't know failures around the corner. I knew I saw it coming and then did nothing about it. And 
one of the really weird things is how many people are just like, hey, yeah, let's shoot. I'm like, because in your head, once you fail, you kind of don't define yourself as that thing anymore. You know, say you're a professional athlete and you get injured. You might not define yourself as a professional athlete anymore because you don't do that anymore. And because I don't do this professionally anymore, I feel like I don't really define myself as a photographer now. And I've taken all of my work off social media. So when I'm like, hey, let's do a shoot, it's not like people see photos and go, oh, I want to work with this guy. I just find that really odd. But getting back to like the guy in the shed who you were like, yeah, 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 come to my wedding. <laughs> um, why would you, why were you trusting enough? I don't know. You're a cool dude. I like you. But you hadn't met me the first time. Oh, the first time? Yeah. I was just kind of like, like my friend decided that you were fine. I'm like, yeah, sweet. I'll just get some paint all over me. I don't care. I don't think I knew your friend either, though. Oh, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> this is back. I, th- I don't think there were smartphones. I probably had a Blackberry or something. But like, I love this um, pre-smartphone era where like nobody really knew anyone. Even if you lived with people, because you couldn't stalk them on Facebook. You couldn't look at what they were doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, we would have been friends on Facebook or something, but this was when, like, Facebook was literally for, like, conversation. You would post about, hey, did you see that episode of a TV show? Or did you hear about this in the news? And then you and your friends would talk about it for hours. Like, I remember I used to have comment chains when I was working in retail, and so you would like comment on like eight different posts and then you would check back like an hour later and you were like, oh, I've had replies and then this whole conversation was... And that doesn't happen anymore on social media. There's so much noise now that that's gone. Um, all right, so... Uh, photo shoots and a bit of rope stuff that we're not going to talk about too much more. Um just so like there's a bit of a third dimension to that cuz that's kind of like the weird and the and the creative stuff. So like what's the normal for me? Yeah. Like okay, So there's nothing crazy happening. <laughs> yeah. So on a day obviously if you're going to this rope thing like once a week. Well, that's one night out of 7. And if you're going to do a photo shoot that's two, but there's still five nights left. So mm-hmm. what else? What do you do? Um I go to the gym. Sometimes yep. when I'm feeling up for it, I go and do Krav Maga. Yep. I beat the shit out of my housemate. Yep. And I'm also learning how to hula hoop. And I'm yeah. learning tricks and shit. Yeah. The hula hoop. Mm. What inspired hooping? What inspired the hula hoop? I go doofing a lot. There we go. <laughs> Now, as someone who doesn't do that, mm. so some of the other stuff in, in the world I do and I'm aware of and I'm part of the scene, this is something I've got nothing to do with. Mm. So, how does a doof work? How does a doof work? Um, so, a doof like sort of a big, giant outdoor rave out in the bush somewhere. Um, some of them have secret locations. Don't. I like the ones that have... And then you find out where you're going that morning and you've got to drive all the way out there. Um, there's usually quite a few of us going and we'll go out in a big convoy with our tents or somebody will have a van or sleep in the back of the car. Um, and yeah, and there's like giant, dirty, 
mud-filled dance floor with heaps of people with barely any clothes on and we're all getting smashed and listening to Psytrance. Psytrance. I actually listen to Psytrance, so there's one thing I can I can grasp from it. What's the sound like at one of those? It's actually really good. They have good sound systems? Yeah. Is the sound good or are you, are you in a good enough mood that you, no, wouldn't, sound, you wouldn't know? The sound is really good. Right. They usually have big, giant sound systems. Out. Like, pretty decent production for some of them. Yeah, and like, what's your average turnout at an event like that? If it's like a quiet, secret location kind of one, maybe a couple of thousand. Couple I've been of thousand. to some where there have been only about 500 people. But still, we're not talking like pub numbers. No, it's big. We're not even talking like medium level like concert or band gig, like, you know, where they might draw a thousand people if the crowd is huge. So we're talking like this is like a scene. This is a thing that really happens. Hmm. Like, it's not like, oh, it's... Thirty people at a uni bar, and they're kind of all interested in the same thing, and then they never get back together again because, like, it failed. Yeah, there's like hundreds. Thousands. Yeah, they're huge. Um, and it's a bit of a community. Like, once you start going in a certain area, then you get to know the people that are going. So it's like a family reunion. People take their kids. Like, everybody people take their kids. <laughs> everybody like always expects it to. Be, like, I've I've been to some bad ones, but everybody always expects them to be really filthy. But some of them are like family events and they'll have like a little crèche area where you can leave your kids or your kids will be on the dance floor learning how to hula hoop as well. There's always heaps of um, like, flow, they call it flow art. So you can learn how to use the little light up poi or their little furry poi ball things on a rope and you can Thank like, you. spin them around everywhere. <laughs> um, but I like the hula hoop. Oh, there's also a dragon staff. I've been learning how to use the dragon staff. So it's like a long thing. Um, some of them have little spirals on the ends and some of them have fire on the ends the fire, fire the fire stuff is awesome yeah. i know i know i used to know no fire performers and then in a couple of years I know suddenly I know, I know heaps like fire of fire performers they like breathe fire out their mouth yeah it's a, it's it's one of the it's dangerous and that's why it's cool yeah and i've watched someone like swallow kerosene whilst it's on fire oh no 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 like they're like <laughs> They're like totally okay. They're like, they just, I won't do it because I'm right on the mic, but they like just cough their guts up and <laughs> straight back in. Um, so coming on to like to the idea of the family at these sorts of things, because there's been a lot of like stuff in the media lately about problems with festivals and stuff like that in New South Wales, particularly. Is there a police presence at, at a doof? No. Any at all? Um, at the I haven't been to any of the really big ones. Mm -hmm. I imagine they would have like a police presence there. Once it's too big, it's it's not a doof anymore though, is it? Or is it, would it still be considered that? It still has the same idea, I guess. So do people who run these, do they like, is it like a festival? You book a venue, you sell tickets through normal distributors? It's usually some kind of like private land. You have to drive for hours to get to any of them. Usually some kind of private land somewhere. So that might be the big difference is because it's on private land, they're not going through the regular channels like a festival would. So there's not as much of a police presence, if none at all. And you said people bring their families to these things. So I, I err on the side of, I usually think like the absolute best of people. So you wouldn't bring your kids to something that was dangerous. Have you ever at any point felt like in danger or like anyone was in danger? No. No violence? No. Yeah. I have never seen a fight break out at a dwarf. Yeah. This is one of the things that gets me, because I always used to be big on the metal concerts, mm. and I used to go to what was called the Great Escape Festival. 
And the Great Escape Festival was one of the first ones in New South Wales that I was old enough to know about. There's probably ones before that. But it was like three to four days, camping in tents. It was organized, though. It wasn't like a crazy thing that's happening out in the bush. It was it was still a mainstream event. But I remember wandering around on like the second day and like the sea of tents was like kilometers big. So like I've forgotten where my tent was and the people I was with. And I remember just wandering around and it was just so chill. And even up to the last like sound wave and big day out, I didn't see this thing that is kind of the the what's become the accepted public opinion of a festival. And I don't mean by the people who go to them. Like the people who go to festivals know whatever they know. Um, it's there's sort of this idea now that they're these horribly drug fueled violent events where people are in danger, and people have been dying at festivals in New South Wales. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I'm not going to bother to Google it. But I do know that statistically, the numbers are considered an anomaly, not a statistic, because if you've got 10, 15, 20,000 people at a festival. And as tragic as it is that a handful of people die, it's almost, it's not a percentage point yet. And it's almost like, well, unfortunately in life, some people are probably making worse decisions than other people are making there. And those decisions have consequences. But I think it's a case of like two circles ellipsing each other people who are going to make that decision anyway and then the venue provides a location to do it that's not their own home because you don't hear about somebody who died in their own home because they took a drug that wasn't safe you don't hear about that doesn't make the news so all i think is well that person might have been going to do that anyway most likely and that's a pretty common thought about these sorts of things is the festival itself doesn't change that and i'm not saying the festival doesn't instigate it it doesn't bring that culture up um my personal thoughts on it are that, you know, drugs are bad, don't do them. But I apply that to me, and that's as far as that application goes. Everyone else can do whatever the hell they like. Um, and get educated would be the best thing. If you're going to do it, find out what you're doing, find out how to do it, etc. And I kind of feel like we're missing the point politically because this is an amazing platform to educate the next generation of kids. Yes. You know, like the 13, 14 year olds who are going to be the 18, 19 year olds in five years time, instead of learning how to do this better. That's one of the things with pill testing. Oh, but that's saying drugs are okay. No, it's not. It's saying test your drugs before you use it. And this is from somebody who is stone cold straight edge, never touched anything, never will. But you're totally missing out on this opportunity to teach the next generation how to do it better. So we don't end up with people who are addicted. We don't end up with people who are unaware of what they're taking and don't know the difference between MDMA and an amphetamine because they're wildly different drugs. But if you just get on pills and you're like, man, I'm just going to take pills and you don't know, you know, it's, it's totally different. I don't even know street name for these things. So I can't use the lingo now. What, 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 what would you call an M- an, one MDMA? Like, one, MDMA? one MDMA, please. Um, okay. A cap, okay. So, you know, it's that if you don't know what to ask for, if you haven't been educated, you're relying on your stupid friends around you. And when you're like, you know, the age where people start this stuff is young. Because like, what's the average? Well, you said people bring their kids to doofs. And like, I'm sure there's a drug presence because there are drug presences wherever there are groups of people. 
So there will be, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. And I've seen that from working with people who are like, you know, like they have like a, a homewares cooking company that does like meal prep and stuff for people and sell Tupperware and things like that. And they are coked out of their minds. <laughs> and then, you know, I've worked with people who are really hardcore festival goers. You know, they wear the fluffies and the like the ears and they do the whole thing. Yeah, I've done this. But whereas the 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 first instance, those people are coked out of their mind every day. And for some of them it's how they achieve. Like there's super, super successful people and it's how they stay right on that edge. Whereas the second type of person, like the the, the person who's like now the drug person in the particularly the New South Wales political climate, like like the festival goer, they do it a couple of times a year. They're not even, up. again, like it's that statistic goes totally the opposite direction. They don't even use drugs often enough for it to count. And with the lack of education there, it's just, it's just not being handled well. So that's where I find that really interesting where you'll talk about the doof culture where they're bringing their kids along. It's like, well, people wouldn't bring their kids if it was dangerous. Yeah. Um, have you been to the big festivals like your DEFCON and things like that? Yes. Is DEFCON even is DEF okay? It's my understanding DEFCON's the big one. There's a few, but yeah, DEFCON's probably the filthiest of them all. <laughs> the filthiest of them all. You you go there to get smashed. Yeah. Stuff, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Nah, it's not that bad. I went to it um first five years. I've seen um, they have this line of police, call it the gauntlet, and they have this big line of police that you've got to try and get past and there's dogs everywhere and they're sniffing absolutely every single person and you watch people freak out in the line and go, oh, my God, there's cops here, there's dogs here, I'm going to eat everything while I'm in the line and by the time you get through, I've seen people drop a single, like just to the ground. Right. Out because they're just eating their whole packets of things. <clears throat> right. Are freaking them out. So they're using their drugs really irresponsibly on the way in. Yeah. So that doesn't help. That doesn't help. But it doesn't help that the cops are there intimidating the shit out of everybody and then, then they feel like they have to do that to get themselves out of trouble. Yeah, that's the next thing I was going <laughs> to ask is the police presence. Do you think that helps or hinders? Hinders, for sure. Yeah. So what would... So... The first time you went to DEFCON, was there a big police presence? There was a few. What was the general culture of the crowd like? Pretty good. Was the aggression there? No. Like, like, like if it was there, like, it was, it was there, but it wasn't like this. I don't this... remember the first couple of years of DEFCON being that bad. Yeah, and then so we, with the... still a bit more of a kind of vibe, like everybody yeah. was there for the music. yeah. To hang out, uh, the, like the couple of years following, it turned into like this big. I think we're losing you on the mic. Just organizing come, yeah. all of our outfits and stuff like months in advance. Like it was just this big like thing that we all did together. Right. And then we stopped going because it just started turning into it. It was too difficult for us to get in. Um, and then even worse these days because cops are just pulling you aside just because a dog sat with you. Yeah. If you don't have anything on you, like, I don't know what the statistics are on that, but they don't pick it up. Like, 
all the time. Half the time they're just sitting because they can. Um, and kicking people out of the festival. So you've just paid like a couple hundred dollars for a ticket and you've been kicked out and you don't even have anything on you. So there's Why even buy a ticket in New South Wales if you're not even guaranteed to get in? Yeah, because what's a ticket cost? A couple hundred bucks. Yeah, sure so, exactly. so it's a bit silly, a bit crazy. Like Metallica <laughs> tickets are like 180. <laughs> like, But I could go and see Metallica, like one of the... I'm not going to say best because I'm not a huge fan, but one of the biggest rock acts ever. Mm. And like, I don't, I, the difference being I couldn't name any of the DJs at Defcon, and I'm sure there are millions of fans who can and mm-hmm. whatnot, but they're not going to be household names in 30 years mm-hmm. because it's the nature of being a DJ is now you have your time in the, in the sun and then you move past and the next big thing happens. So hundreds of dollars is like, it's a lot of money to, mm-hmm. To not even get entry. Now, you know a little bit about animals, don't you? About you know, animals. Yeah, you know a little bit about animals. <laughs> um, so what did you do for work up until... Up until yesterday about, when I got fired? About a few minutes ago. <laughs> I'm a um, qualified veterinary nurse. Yes, so you know a little bit about animals. Mm. You, you kind of know how they operate. What are the chances of a, of a drug-sniffing dog ever sitting next to the right person? I'm not like a behaviorist. I haven't trained a lot of dogs. A lot of my stuff is like wildlife, but dogs sit they a lot. They don't always though. get it right. Yeah, dogs sit a lot. They just sit. My dogs sit when they want something. My dogs sit when they want to play, when make me happy. And like, I reckon you can't get rid of that. I don't. I don't care how well trained they think these dogs are. No, it's definitely not a hundred percent. Yeah. Like the dogs are dog and they're playful. Always, like the, the drug sniffing dogs are like naughty young Labradors most of the time. And I went to Defcon one year and I was dressed up as a tiger and I had a big long tail. And I felt I was just gauntlet and felt this tug on my tail and I turn around and one of the drug sniffing Labradors had my tail in its mouth. <laughs> right. But you didn't get like picked up? I didn't get picked up. I, I, as far as I'm aware, they're not supposed to really touch you. They're just supposed to sit if they want yeah, to Yeah, it definitely wasn't the last like, one. It's a dog. They get things wrong. So, as, so this is kind of, this is hard for me to, like, to figure out how to ask it. But as someone who's like, pretty out there, like you do photo shoots, you're not always wearing your clothes when you're doing <laughs> stuff you're doing or whatever. Because there was a couple of really bad invasions of privacy in the last one, particularly from the police, like mm. really aggressive full body checks and stuff yeah. like that. Um, you wouldn't just be cool with that, would you? No. Yeah, it's it's that like if you're guilty of it, even then, do you think it's warranted? Like, okay, so take. What do you think would be a scenario where someone should actually go to those levels of like checking someone's person? Really need to like be ninety nine percent sure that that person has got something on them. I think you need a blood test first. Hmm. I think before anything else, you need proof that there is something in this person's system. Beyond reasonable doubt yeah. that they might not. Um, because, like, it could leave... Like, I think it could genuinely hurt people yes. to go through an experience like that. And 
if they're already fucked up and they don't have anything on them, they're not in trouble. The police aren't going to find anything and they're not in trouble. So what's the point at that particular point in the whole experience? But they're fucked up and then they're being abused. And this is something where we're demonizing drugs and at the same time creating this idea that maybe it's okay to just break people down to nothing publicly in front of their friends. I don't know, it's something to think about. It's pretty heavy that kind of doesn't get enough on social media particularly. Like it does and people like will cry about it, but it's for all the... A lot, often the argument will go to... Oh, well, people only go to those festivals to use drugs. Like, quite often it'll boil down to that argument. And it's like, yeah, well, a lot of people only go to work so they can use drugs. And, like, I don't just mean, like, like the evil drugs. Like, any anything. Caffeine. You know, every day. Daily habit. Ah, kill. Anyway. Alcohol yeah. is a drug. Yeah. I've seen more fights and shit go down because of alcohol oh, than God, I've yeah. seen anything else. Every serious episode of violence I've ever witnessed was because of alcohol. Yeah. Not, not oh, there was alcohol involved. No, because it was alcohol. Mm. Um, every time... I've, I've never been in a fight myself. Like, not like, like schoolyard fights, sure. After that, no, nothing serious. But because I don't drink, I'm sober. And... 100% of the time if I've ever gotten into like some kind of altercation with someone else who is drunk, the second you go, hey, dude, I don't want to fight you, they go, oh, okay. Like, let's be friends, man. Like, it just diffuses like that. It's instant. And, yeah, that's one of the... But with both people drunk, you don't have that level of yeah. problem solving anymore. Anyway, um, doofs are good. Big festivals have been ruined. In New South Wales. You like taking baths? Love taking baths. Cool. All right. Um, so just a last question. Um, if you had to go back, well, you don't have to. If you could, if you could go back to when you were like, whatever would you consider like your formulative years. Like, so I kind of feel like I had a couple, all right? So I kind of had this thing with music and that was how I defined myself. And then in my early 20s, no, sorry, in... Yeah, I got into photography and that became how I defined myself for a decade. So whenever that was for you, if it was 12, it was, if it was 24, if it was last week, um, if you could go back at what you think like the most crucial point in your like self-discovery, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself? You probably study maths harder. <laughs> You know don't what? drop out of maths in year ten because you're gonna need it. <laughs> I don't disagree. One one of the one of the things that I always think to myself was So that backup plan you never had. Not that you need a backup plan, but that life is so all over the place. And if you can engineer, you can make lots of money wherever you are. So if you're good at math whether I'm that be really bad at math. whether it be software engineering or like building a bridge, if you know how, it's really important stuff. Cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Heaps.